in a world that has more than enough information and noise. Is it even possible to truly anchor ourselves and have peace in a scattered world? Hi, this is Pamela and Mary, and we are a mother-daughter team who span two generations but share one message. We will delve into what it looks like to be fully integrated, body, soul, and spirit, and will bring encouragement and hope all along the way. We get it. Life is hard. And let's be real. Hard doesn't even begin to describe it on some days. But we want you to know that you're not alone. And not only that, we are here to come alongside you and cheer you on as you walk out your individual storyline. So join us as we journey together and laugh, cry, and everything in between. Welcome to the More Than Enough podcast. Hey, welcome back to the More Than Enough podcast. Hey, Ma. Hey, Mary. How's it going? I always ask you how it's going every week. (laughs) You do. You do. It's like Groundhog's Day. (laughs) It is a good day. No one is sick as far as I know. So yes, all is well. Oh man, me too. I can say the same thing, except that it has to do with my husband and my client. They're both well, especially Mm -hmm. dad who's been sick forever. And I feel like I got my life back a little uh, in the last couple of days. So yes. That's oh, a toast. Man. We could cling cups right there. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm excited about jumping in today. I know this topic, sovereignty, is like your jam, mom. Yes. I know we're supposed to have all the facets of God, but I definitely know that that is one that you have, I don't want to say pounded. That's not the right word at all, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely imprinted on you. <laughs> me and yeah and i think i'm absolutely better for it and it's it's been amazing so anyway i just want to jump in with today's topic of god's sovereignty and again as we know that is like the most loaded thing ever even when we think about that word if i said what is god's sovereignty i feel like 10 different people would have 10 different answers if you could just kind of define that for us first before we jump in i think that would be good that sounds really good. Yeah, I guess it is sort of my jam. And that's a that's a truism right there. We've talked a lot in the last 10 weeks about these pieces that we are highlighting and saying have a lot of value. So one of those things we talk about is our foundations. I would say that um, our foundation about how we see God, who we see him to be, all of that is primary. That would be a primary foundation. Then within that scope, I would say God's the parts of them that cannot be given to us that only he has. There's a fancy word for that, but we'll just say those are the parts that only he shares. And uh, within that framework, his sovereignty stems off of a couple of these parts about him. That's why it is truly foundational in that way, because it sort of provides actually sort of the construct for God to us as as the creation. One of the things about the sovereignty of God that I've realized is that it's very offensive in a lot of ways. So just starting out with kind of a way of how we respond to the idea of his sovereignty, like you said, Mary, you know, all having various opinions or views of what that could look like. I think it's offensive to us because here's the here's the rub about God's sovereignty is If he is indeed all these things and has all power and all authority and all rule, then why doesn't he do anything? Why is he not doing what he could do? And so that's kind of the the million dollar question. I'm just going to say that straight out because I know that that's in our grid. So as we define it, 
Yes, yes. And I, I love to do that in how I approach teaching. I think it's way less difficult to understand when we start to sort of unpackage who God is compared to who I am or who you are. I read this, um, I should have written it down, so I'll probably botch it and then it's not even going to be any good. But <laughs> I was, you know, giving a really interesting illustration about an ant in a bowl and how, you know, we are the one who has the power to do what we want with that ant in the bowl. And, and so we, we can crush it, we can drown it, or we can just watch it as it just goes away. We have anything to do, but there could be any numerous amounts of reasons of why we respond to the ant that we do because we're much more complex. There's so many things that could be a part of our thinking or reasoning at that point. So the idea of God, much more complex, much greater, much wiser, much more powerful, anything he does or does not do if he does something or he doesn't do something, it doesn't change the fact that he is necessarily at all the things that he already proclaims to be, which in this case would be that he's sovereign and that he's good. Those are the two things. Because that question begs, why doesn't he do something? Well, the answer I can tell you after studying it for a long time comes down to one of two things. He's either impotent and he doesn't have that much power or he doesn't care and he's not good. So, so it kind of comes to that right. or a combination of both. So then that's what we have to then, those are the two parts we have to decide about God. Is he able, you know, is there anything that he's subject to anything outside of himself? That that's what we're talking about. Um, I would say when you think about it like this, sovereignty means the, the right to rule and it's whoever has power and authority. I would say that, you know, breaking it down, you could say, okay, who are, what, what does that look like? What does it mean? It looks like, you know, a parent, right? It looks like a teacher or your boss or a policeman or a governor or a president, or if there was such a thing as a ruler over the whole world, it just means that they've been empowered. So they have the power, but whoever has the power, the most power in any given room is the one who has the authority. Power and authority sort of go together. So because God has these parts about him that are unique to us, and we've heard those big words, omni, omni just means all. God has all the power. He has all the knowledge. He has all the ability to execute anything he wants to do. And he's all present everywhere at the same time and yet lives outside of time. Okay, those are giant words. But the idea that I want you to get here, the listener, is that God is over all things. And so when we talk about his sovereignty, the word sovereignty really is referring to those big godlike qualities because of these other godlike qualities that we also don't share, like, for instance, that he's immutable. That means he never changes. Okay. But if we talk about justice, he's given us some of those qualities in his nature, because he's given us his image. We have certain things that God has given us, but even those things we share with him, love, joy, peace, he's given us those, but even those things are only go so far compared to the capacity that he has. So when we're talking about who God is, we're looking at the parts of him that are completely unrelated and we will never have as a human being. When we talk about the parts that we are like him, it's that part that he has given us when he imparted. And I think of it as like DNA. 
He's given to us his DNA. Just like if you study it at all in biology and in human beings, it's marvelous that we, that comes through us to our children. So, and all the code that's in it. So we have that imprinted on us that we can share with God, that we can access God in this way. So this is, this is kind of the big overarching theme of what God means now, what God's sovereignty means with God. So that's like of maybe six or seven minutes, right? Or to people who think about this for years, that's just a touchstone, but it's enough to start a conversation. And I think the conversation that always matters to us in all these kinds of subjects is not so that we can debate or that we can have more knowledge. It has to have meaning. It has to have an an impact or an effect on my life. Right. Beyond that, I think, you know, what we're going to do mostly is sort of pivot to what are the implications of God's sovereignty in our life? Unless, Mary, you have something to add to that. That's that's where I'm at. No, I think that's exactly kind of the framework that we need to start with. I think most people have some degree of understanding for the most part of, oh yeah, I think there could be a higher power. I think there could be something bigger and greater out there that's sovereign. We even think about like the Greek goddesses and gods. It's like, yes, there's something bigger. We almost innately feel it, that there's something bigger or greater. But like you said, it's either just kind of out there, just being its sovereign little thing, just kind of over everything, or it's an angry God, like the Greek goddesses. And it's like, you have to please the God. So when we think of the God that we believe in, as believers of Jesus, our framework of who God is, is that he is intimately involved in our lives. And he super cares about every part of our life. And he's not just far out in space, just chilling on a cloud, right? So I think when I think about that and sovereignty, I think that definitely is where people get tripped up. Because if God is intimately a part of our lives and he's watching us walk down the street and a giant rock falls from the sky and it hits us. It's like, well, God was sovereign. He could have moved that rock. And the reality is, is he could have. So, right. How do we reconcile that? The biggest example I have is like when people say, I prayed right before I went on this trip that I wouldn't get in a car accident. And I prayed that we'd be safe and everything. And this crazy thing happened. I lost my keys. I couldn't find my keys. And then I left the house and it was just two minutes and I go out, start driving. And I realized there had been this wreck. And I asked the police officer, like, what happened? They said, oh yeah, two minutes ago, all these cars backed up and collided. And you were like, oh my gosh, I would have been in that wreck. And it's like, God saved me. Again, we all, I feel like I've heard those stories where it's like, God spared us or this or that. And we're all like, yeah, that's awesome. Because we recognize as believers that God can spare us, that God can do those things, right? So what happens when a family of five is going on a trip and they forget their keys and, um, but this time the wreck happened two minutes later and God knew they forgot those keys and now they're going to be at the perfect timing to be able to hit that wreck. And so it's like, obviously God could have spared that too. And now an entire family just died in a car accident. So we have to... Not that we have to understand that, but we have to at least address it. 
Yep. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because it's, it's, Did that make sense? it made actually perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is one guy's just crap out of luck. He hit it in the middle of the two minute time frame, and the other one God spared. So what do we say to God then? You know, what is the potter doing with the clay? And what, and if we are, I, I think the potter and the clay analogy from Romans is a good springboard to start with this conversation because sovereignty has two sides of the coin. I think in terms of only this, in terms of why it is so significant to creation today, particularly in the unique time that we live, where we're constantly <clears throat> discussing and calling God into account. What, it, what are his motives? Is he good or not? He must not exist. If he's not sovereign or he must not exist if he's not good. Or the, the problem with that is that if he does exist and he's sovereign and all powerful and he's not good. So I think the other side of the coin of sovereignty has a lot to do with the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God, as well yeah. as the perfect justice that is within the Godhead that will be meted, meaning it will come forth in perfect time. One day, those things will all be equal in a way that we have understanding for. But in the meantime, I do tend to lean in to that. I think part of in today's way of thinking, I think it's hard for even children, small children today, to not see their parents as more important in terms of authority than they are. Lord knows that's true. Yeah. So so we could just start with the smallest of increments that have changed over thousands of years of history. I believe there's a reason for that. First, I want to just acknowledge that I think we're in a very unique time frame in terms of the schemes of the enemy unto the coming return and the glory of God, whenever that is going to happen. These are being set up so that we would come into a place of really believing that there is no higher authority than ourselves, starting all the way down to a preteen, six, five, seven, who basically does not even understand this idea of there is a boss, there is someone in the room who's in charge. There is someone that has been given authority and power, and I have to come to recognize who that is. It will go well with my life. It will go well with my church, my family. But if we have this resistance or what the word might call rebellion against the one in authority, God knew that this was going to carry over into how we could see him. Partly, we're dealing with a unique situation. Everyone for jillions of years have understood these parameters that are within our communities and our cultures, let alone to a holy God. The question then is in Romans, you know, the idea is that if I'm literally clay, if I'm literally dust, I think the bigger question is to ask, how can dust call glory? So we're going to talk about something that's transcendent beyond ability to grasp, all together than, different from us. I am a piece of dust. How could I begin to even know what questions to ask of this person, this living being that is underived and self-existent? This is the God of the Bible. Now, if we're talking about another God or a philosophy, we could discuss that all day long, but I'm always trying to remind people when I'm having conversations with them that I'm coming from 
biblical Christianity, which some of these things we're talking about are very foundational pieces that God has spoken about himself and says, this is who I am. I think the idea that the created being wants to ask the potter who has developed him and brought him into existence, why have you made me this way? Why have you done this to me? That's what we're saying. Why did you let this happen to me? Why didn't you save this person? Why didn't, why did you let them die? Why was I at that plane crash? But yet I would have been in that plane, but I missed my flight and then have survivor's guilt. Like, God, uh, why me? Why did, why did all the other people die? There's a million ways we extrapolate and we call God into a trial. We become the judge, even though we're a piece of dust. Okay but a piece of dust that dust that God has created and calls beautiful and lovely and has actually made us his own to live with him forever. So I think this is one of those kinds of things that we cannot start in the micro and go out, but we must start with the macro. We have to saturate it on ourselves on who the God of the Bible claims to be and what his intentions are. And then we start reading the word. We begin to have a real relationship with God. His spirit begins to show us who he is. And then our posture begins to change instead of, I can just be honestly say that when I'm, when I'm really in the moment with God throughout the years, I mean, it's more interesting that my question isn't why have you done this or why haven't you done that? The more we really sit into that place and the Holy Spirit shows us things that we cannot derive on our own, I feel like the normative response is, I have bawled and wailed. Like, why don't you just crush us? Just just start over. We're so selfish. We're so sinful. Why do you continue to love us? Why did you even save us? Because I think that becomes your question. Why are you even kind to us? But again... Mm -hmm two different problems in our brain to reconcile. I think one can come in one way where we just decide that our own reasoning, that we we are on an equal plane with God to ask certain questions. And the other is coming from a place that I think God has created us to be, where we would in wonder and in awe approach him, already believing that he is so much greater, his wisdom and his plans are higher than ours. Now, right. I don't I don't know what you think about that, but that's a starting off place to me. Yeah, I think you're right. It has to come from this other perspective. Because if you jump in, starting just, why did God allow this or that? You don't even have a point of reference. I know that I've even heard over the years that analogy, but without any context of God's goodness in the sense of like the potter and the clay, but it just sounds so harsh and intense. God's bigger than everything. He is a creator and he does what he wants. Who are you to tell him that he can't do that? And it's like, okay, cool. I mean, really, how does that make it any different than any other god or goddess? It's like, they do what they want. The god of lightning. They do what they want. Who are you to question them? And it's like, okay, this is what I've heard from a lot of this generation. Honestly, even from my husband, I kind of shared a little bit of his journey in a past episode, but he's really struggled with this as far as I don't want to have anything to do with a god who just watches that kind of suffering and doesn't do something. And he's like, I'm not saying that that God caused that suffering, but if he could have stopped it and did not I don't want to have anything to do with a God like that. So again, sovereignty without any context is like, okay, that's fine. But I literally want to have nothing to do with that. 
this is everything. We've been talking about, is God good? Yes. Is he faithful? Is he kind? Is he good? Is he faithful? And if we have that shored up, that's our lens and that's our filter. And we so believe that, know that narrative, then we know that we know that we know that his leadership is good. Yes, yes, yes. And it is amazing how something so beautiful that was meant to make us feel safe as God reveals himself in this way in the Old Testament in the beginning of Genesis to Revelation. But it, it is just overwhelming to think of how much the enemy can sow seeds within us to misunderstand. It, it makes me think of Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who said, you know, what our minds have come to believe and think about on God is the most important thing about us. Not what we do, yeah. not any other thing, not our sin, not our good things which we mostly are more preoccupied with. We're, we're preoccupied with our actions and our religious duties. But right. in reality, it's how we see and feel about who God is as revealed in the scripture, not as we've created him to be in our likeness, but what does God say about himself? I think we're getting farther and farther away from the word. I think there's so yeah. much information out there and people's opinions. And we just think it's logical to go down certain steps to making decisions about God, which is woefully dangerous, of course, for ourselves. That's why I approach sovereignty. I have, there's a book I'm writing about my story, but then there's like a workbook that will go along with that. And it's on these different parts about who God is. And I approach the sovereignty of God with saying that God's nature actually offends us. And it does. It does. If we even begin to think in a more just what I think is a pretty elementary way to see God. Well, if he doesn't do this, then he's this. But when we just take the lens out just a little farther and a little farther and a little farther, we begin to see that if in reality, if God were subject to anything or anyone or any, any kind of element, you know, all, all the elements, if he was subject to anything, what would that mean for us? What would that mean for us? I think the greatest example of the sovereignty of God is found in the gospel. So many things that, unless you really think about it, are so intertwined into God's sovereignty in that. And I won't even go into that. But there are so many parts that we can see God's sovereignty in ways that are just very encouraging to our hearts. But I, I guess that's what we should do in our remaining time is take a few minutes to look at how this can make a difference to us. I'll just jump in and say that I... I think I've said I'm a self-professing control freak. Control just really comes down to something as simple but as complex as fear. The more we're trying to keep the plates spinning by ourselves, the more we take on a false responsibility that it's up to me, the more we live out of a place of survival or protection because in our brain and in our neuropathways, the smallest of things can become life and death. We're driven by these fear bonds, these chains to control things or environments or circumstances, particularly the closer those affect us. My testimony regarding the sovereignty of God. So now we're going to sort of end this with a more personal approach. And that is, it was life changing for me, life changing. And I would say it's taken 20, 30 years from that time in my early 20s, and now I'm 64. It's, it's, it's a process. Everything we have been saying to you guys, it's everything in our story because most of us 
are trying to fix something or keep something bad from happening, particularly as women, I think, when we carry a more emotional load. When I realized in a full way, it was after looking at some things, reading some books, again, early 20s, but my life off the bat was out of control. And then when I married, out of control three months later. So I was desperate for something that was bigger than me. I loved God, but I'm telling you that the beauty and the ever-present help of God being sovereign, he was able to do anything, but moreover, he understood everything and was with me. And I realized that my circumstances began to matter less and less because my hope and my trust was in a God who never changes. And the same God I had seen help me in a million ways was going to help me going forward. Also in that came to realize that control is an illusion. You're going to chase it all the days of your life and it will never be effective. Yeah. So I think finding early on in my young adult life, wow, wait a minute, what does this mean for me? If this is true, how can this help me? And I would say almost every day of my life since then, it has come to play in a way that I can settle more like that. You know, the little baby or the toddler who starts squirming at first, then you want to hold them and they kind of need to be held because they're kind of getting jittery. You know, they squirm and then they all of a sudden they relent and their whole body starts to soften, right? We've all felt that. And then they sort of start to bury their head in and maybe give you a little smile. It's that fighting God. And I feel like the older I get, the less I even desire to fight him because of his faithfulness to me throughout all my life. And that does not mean his faithfulness by not having me experience a lot of terrible things because I have. That's our hope. That's our hope is to be in the boat with him, as Mary said. That's our hope that he is the one who can speak to the waves and they will be still. And that means the waves of my own heart. I have found it's not about my circumstances. It's about my need to control something that I feel terrified by. Right. Right. So that's my experience with sovereignty. That's good, Mama. I, I think that over my little life, I'm getting older though. Every year, mom, not the baby anymore. I know. (laughs) But anyways, yes, I, I definitely have felt all those things of, oh, why this and why that? And I think relenting to God's sovereignty, we're not discounting like pain and suffering. And yes, there is a mystery that we will not know until eternity. And we just have to address that. We want to have a formula for it. And I think certain parts of the church want to just say, well, you just don't question it. God does what he wants. And then maybe some other parts of the church as well, almost kind of give this approach, like God just kind of has a hands-off approach, lets people do their thing and he doesn't kind of intervene. But we all agree that God can intervene whenever the heck he wants to intervene, right? And yet, of course, people can make choices and do things and have a sin nature and God doesn't cause sin ever, ever, ever. But we also fully acknowledge that there's still pain and there's still suffering and God doesn't stop all of it. So there is a mystery there of 
why or what, but if we sit and just look at that without, right, going back to this thing of, it really just goes back to the Garden of Eden. Did they really believe that God was good? Did they really believe that God was 100% for them and had their very best in mind? But they didn't. There was some questioning in their heart of, wait, when the little snake came and it was like, is God really for you? Did he really say that? Or is he holding out on you? I think he he knows that if you did this, you'd be like him. So he's really just holding out on you. That's where everything breaks down. Oh, man. I love the the garden story in the Bible. And um, so many things we talk about foundations. And I would just say, throwing out there, that's your foundation to start in to all of you listening is Genesis. That's why I say that I think if there is a coin and sovereignty being one side, but the goodness of God, that he is for you and not against you. I think that is what it boils down to really in our makeup, because that's what we're really calling God into question is, is he good? It isn't so much as he sovereign. I think even people who once believed yeah. in God, oh, sure, they're more suspect about if he can be trusted. Yeah. Obviously, if we can't trust God, we're not going to become intimate with him. So this is a foundational issue that we all have to settle in our hearts. So not to darken this conversation, I would just say that it's become, in the days that we're living in, it's become almost something that is vitally important to our own souls. Because if we don't settle now what we believe about who God is, we're all feeling the bombardment of tests and trials that are upon us. This is the time to get the oil in your lamps to come to a belief that is beyond thought and reason, but that where your heart and your mind concur together that God is good, no matter what you see with your eyes, no matter what you feel in your heart, as these birth pangs across the earth are increasing in the travail. So this is nothing but good news to us as believers, because we have someone that we can put our hope and trust in no matter what we see and no matter what we experience. This is what I long for, for anyone that I'm teaching or spending time with. This is what Mary and I long for, for you, our friends and, and new listeners. Yes. So good, mama. So good. Thank you guys so much, so much again for listening. This is, yeah, always one of my favorite days of the week. Mine too. Blessings to everyone. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the More Than Enough podcast. We are still busy behind the scenes setting up our website, but for now, if you would like to stay up to date or follow along, you can follow us on Instagram at Girls. That's A-M-E-S-G-I-R-L-S. We know that because we're a newer podcast, one of the best ways for people to find us is through reviews. So if you would take just a few minutes and write us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would be so grateful. Thank you so much again for joining us and we look forward to chatting it up again with you next week. Have a lovely week.